Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Bentley pressured, swings it out to Williams. Daddy, where do babies come from? They um, come from a mama's belly. But, Daddy, how do they get in the top? Uh, Claire? Mom's at the store. Elliot at school said that you get pregnant by swapping fluids. Like sharing a drink. Can you get a baby by sharing a drink straw, Daddy? Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message. Then Olivia said that you get pregnant by kissing with your tongue like in the movies. But Reagan said that her older brother said that you get pregnant by doing it. Ask Siri what doing it meant. Oh, okay. Okay. First off, don't listen to anything Reagan's brother says. Ever. And second... When a mommy and a daddy love each other... Like you and mommy? Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, let's just wait until you're a little older to have this conversation. Oh. Okay, daddy. Hey, daddy. Yeah? I love you. I love you, too. Hey, daddy. Mm-hmm. What is sex? All right, so that points us in the direction we're headed today and for the next several Sundays. Welcome, welcome if you're here on the Klein campus, Center Court East or Center Court West. Welcome if you're here in the Woodlands. Welcome if you're here online, however it is that you're here. We're glad that you're here. So why don't you take your Bibles and we're gonna go to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6 is gonna be our text. If you need a Bible and you don't have one, why don't you just wave at one of the ushers in the aisles in all our rooms and they'll be happy to let you borrow one. And it's our gift to you if you need a Bible to keep. Uh, so we'll go there in the New Testament. While you're there, I was thinking about um, Jason Pierre-Paul. You know who he is? So NFL uh, defensive end for the New York Giants, who will never forget July 4th, 2015, because that was the night while trying to host a fireworks celebration for lots of family and friends he blew one of his million-dollar hands to smithereens. Had to have a finger or two amputated. Has to play with, with a big old wrap thing around it. He'll never be quite who he was before that night. I was thinking about him and that situation, about the reality that fireworks injures, so the statistics say, 12,000 people just this past year. And yet as I was pondering it, it occurred to me, 
There's another explosive that people play with that's doing damage to more than 12,000 people. It's hundreds of thousands, millions the world over. And that's the explosive called sex. Now, just to be clear, I enjoy fireworks and I enjoy sex. All right, so let's just let the record state that clearly. But <clears throat> the reason that we need to talk, and I'll leave the fireworks question up to you and your family uh, come July 4th and January 30, December 31st and all that sort of stuff. But the reason that I think we need to talk about this other explosive, this sex thing, the reason we got to get down to the naked truth of the matter is because <clears throat> there are so many people who are blowing their lives up by using it inappropriately in ways that are harming them, destroying their lives, damaging them, experiencing brokenness left and right. And, and I'm talking about people right here today, like all of us in different shapes and forms and fashions and in different grades and, and variations and shades. I mean, the, the problem of misused sexuality, the reality is it's, it's doing damage to all of us. It's causing confusion in our society and disillusionment and bitterness and fatal obsessions and ruined careers and, and, and more. And, and what I see happening from my pastoral vantage point really troubles me is that there's parents who love their kids like all parents love their kids. And it's not that they really want their kids to experience the same pain that they've experienced in their own life, but it's just they don't know any better. So they dust off the old playbook that they used 20 years ago and they hand it to their kids and they say, here, you know, it, maybe this will work better for you than it worked for me. And so they send them off with teachings like your body and what happens to your body. That's up to you. That is your business and your business alone. And the object of the game is happiness. Really, that's all that matters is your happiness. And so whatever makes you happy, that, that's, that's really kind of what you need to move towards. And, and parents who buy plastic surgery for their 18-year-old daughters and rent condos for their seniors at prom down by the beach... And, and I watch this, and, and, and I'm just seeing parents who love their kids, but they're shoving them right down this same pathway lined with explosives that they've journeyed down and are still trying to put the shattered pieces of their lives back together from. And, and so th that's the first reason I think we have to talk about this. There's so much brokenness uh, caused by this subject. And the second reason is because it doesn't have to be that way. Because the truth of the matter is God created sex. God created it. And, and we tend to forget, especially uh, church people, we're like, well, you know, let's not let on what we've discovered, you know, that he might. You know. No, he, does, he invented it. It was all his discovery in the first, it was all his invention in the first place. And subsequently, therefore, he gives us an instruction manual in his graciousness, says, hey, I wired this all into you 
So let me kind of help you come into a fuller awareness of how it will work best uh, with you. Now, the, the, the sad reality is, though, that this, this uh, divine playbook, if you will, this divine instruction manual, uh, it's not used by most people. I mean, statistics show 90, 95% of people who don't go to church, they don't use this playbook. And the people who do go to church, th- their statistics are like a little better. It shows that only like 89 or 88 percent of them don't use it, you know, and, and so we're, we're all kind of in the same category. Everybody pretty much doesn't use this playbook, and yet it's the playbook that was written for all of us, all of us who struggle with heterosexual attractions to other people that we're not married to, same-sex attractions to other people, people that we're at work with while we're also married, pornography on you know, the internet and wherever else, uh, you know, just on and on and on. It applies to all of us. And so I just kind of want to establish as we get going on here, the reason that we're talking about this here in, in, in church is because it's causing so much brokenness, and, but it doesn't have to. But the the reality is that we all need a few talks on this subject. We all need. So so you don't have to worry, like, as we get going here, it's like, oh, my gosh, he's talking about me. None of them have to. But but, no, 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 it's all of us, okay? And so that's why we've got to get down to to the truth of the matter about this. Now, let's understand this as we get going along. We're not the first generation to come along and be a little bit confused about this whole sex thing. Um, Furthermore, we're not even the first generation of Christians to to church people, you know, to to be confused about this sex thing. You, You look back throughout church history and people have been confused about this throughout the whole history of the church. You can go back to the original, to the early church, like when it was all starting, just like right after Jesus. And you go back to a city like Corinth, for example, that was in Greece. And that was a wild, exciting, international city, Corinth was. And it had this temple to the, to the Greek uh, goddess of sexuality called Aphrodite. And the historians tell us that there in the temple to Aphrodite were staffed a thousand prostitutes. They just stayed on the ready for people who needed to stop by and do some worshiping. And so that was the culture 2,000 years ago. And Christians were coming along, and here was the interesting thing that was happening. Christians were coming along, uh, well, I mean, they weren't Christians, they just were Corinthians, but they were hearing the gospel. And then that they'd hear the story of this great God who loved us so much that he said, you'll never be able to do anything good enough to save yourself. And so I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. And so here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to send my own son into this earth. And he's going to live this life of sinless perfection that you couldn't live because you all have messed up. You've all sinned and you've all fallen short. 
and he's going to live that perfect life, and then he's going to die the death of persecution and suffering and punishment that you deserve to have died. But he's going to do it so that you don't have to. He's going to be your, your substitute. And then he's going to rise from the grave, declaring that I've conquered the grave, and anybody who links themselves to me by faith, you too can have the assurance of your salvation. And people were hearing this in Corinth. They're like, now that is an inspiring message. I want that. I like the thought of like rising to eternal life and being forgiven of my sins. And boy, that sounds great. Sign me up. I want to be a Christian. And so these people were becoming Christians. Only problem was they were becoming Christians uh, in their minds and their hearts and their souls but it wasn't affecting their sexual ethic. Same thing that happens today. People who trust in Christ, but their sexual ethic doesn't change any. And the line of reasoning was that they were using, I think that many people use even today, was the line of reasoning, well, hey, wait a second. You know, the, sort of the, the body and the soul are two different things. They're not the same thing. And so my body needs food and sex, so I'll just give it food and sex, and my soul needs Jesus, and so I'll give it Jesus, and so we'll just kind of go along, and, and there's, there's really no interrelation between the two. And, and furthermore, you know, their, 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 their reasoning was, well, how did becoming a follower of Jesus affect my digestive system and the food that I intake? It doesn't do anything about that. In fact, those who, who came out of Jewish backgrounds, they were even saying, hey, wait a second. Now that we're like not Jewish, but we're Christian, that means we can even eat more things than back when we had to have the kosher diet. We're free because Christ has made us free. And so we can eat everything. And so, so how, there's no relationship between the body and the soul. And it was this dynamic that Paul was stepping up and saying, oh, boy. You all are really, really, really confused and you're breaking yourself and shattering yourself and hurting yourselves and you don't even understand it. And so that's why he wrote what we're gonna read right now. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 12. I'm gonna read out of the ESV version today, which may not be the one that you have in your lap, um, but I think it captures it perhaps most clearly. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I need not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So, verse 18, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God 
in your body. Now, why did Paul write this? To be a killjoy and a party pooper to the Christians back then and to the Christians nowadays? Oh, plenty of people have come along and thought that's exactly why he wrote those words. But if you can get underneath the surface of it and you can really begin to understand what he was going after and what he was trying to explain, you begin to realize, wow, there really is some clarity that these verses can cast into our lives particularly upon our sexuality. In particular, there's three things that he's going to make very clear. He's going to sort of clear up three misunderstandings and say, I've got to help you see three things differently than the way that you're seeing them. And so that's the the three things that I want us to look at in our time right now. The first of those things, he said, the first thing you've got to understand is that the sexual bond is more than just a physical bond. So you think that the sexual bond is just a physical bond, but there's something more that's going on there. Verse 18, do you not know that that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For the two will become one flesh. Now, maybe right here you're thinking, well, see, already this is a little bit irrelevant to me, Ken, because I I never went to a prostitute. And so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of graduated beyond what we're talking about. Well, you need to understand something. That word that is translated into the English word uh, prostitute can be translated into a number of other words, and in Scripture it is translated into several other words. What is the root, the word in Greek? It was pornea, from which we get the word pornography. It meant anything that was sexually immoral. So here, referring to the temple in Aphrodite and everything I was just telling you about, he's talking about prostitution. But porn, pornea could also be, uh, include, it also includes adultery and fornication and homosexuality and incest and on and on and on, regardless. The Bible's saying, no, no, all of this, it's much more complicated than you think it is, which begs the question, well, then what is not pornea? Like what's inbounds? Well, he makes that very clear, God does in his word. It's this, sex that is experienced within the loving, trusting confines of a married husband and wife commitment. That's, that's so old-fashioned. Well, yeah, it is old-fashioned, but let me just ask you a question before you like, get tempted to tune out here. Has sex outside of marriage made your life better overall or just more complicated? All right, so let's talk about this one flesh thing because that's really the part that you have to come to and understand. What was he talking about here in verse 16 when he says the two will become one flesh? I remember when I was growing up and, and whenever we'd go to a wedding and I'd sit there, either you know, my parents or my grandparents, and the, and the pastor would get to that part and would say, and the two shall become one flesh. And I'd go, that's awkward, because I know what he's talking about, and I'm sure they know too. You know? And, and <clears throat> He's talking about sex. That, you know, I just don't want to come out and say it, you know. And, and, but Tim Keller points out 
No, that cannot be all that Paul was talking about. Because why would he even bother saying, if you have physical union with someone, then you're having physical union with them? Why even bother saying that? That's redundant. That's just saying the same thing. No, the reason that he was saying it is because he was trying to emphasize, no, there's something more. What he was saying is, if you have physical union with somebody, you're having more than just physical union. You're becoming one flesh, meaning your heart and your soul and your mind and your emotions and your feelings and the whole thing are being fused together. Now, at this point, Paul's audience was surely pushing back. He's like, oh, oh, nah. not here in Corinth. That's what I was going with us, Paul. You got you to understand, we're not like uniting and becoming one flesh. You take this way too serious. There's no real connection. There's no serious, you know, meaningfulness in all of this. I mean, I don't even remember what her name was. I didn't even get his name. We didn't unite, to which Paul would say, oh, yes, you did. It'll just be a matter of time until you realize that you did. Because there's a lot more going on in sex than there is with food. And that was their argument, remember? They're just comparing it to, to, to food. But you know this is true. Think about this. When, whenever any spouse discovers that his or her spouse is becoming one flesh with another person, what happens? All this emotion and, and sobbing and crying and soul searching and oh my gosh, I can't believe he's doing that and, or she's doing that and how did it come to that and that person, that blasted, you know, and, and pounding the pillow and, and all of it. But now let me ask you something. What spouse gets that worked up because their husband or their wife ate too much birthday cake the night or two before? You know, it's the cake, it's the cake, it's the cake. You know, and signs up for 10 sessions of therapy with a counselor. No, nobody does that. Why? Because food is not personal. And so food sins, Paul is, is, is trying to help them see, they are nowhere near in the same category. And you're trying to just say, it's just all physical, it's, it's just all kind of the same thing, and it just doesn't matter, it's all separated from our soul. And Paul's saying, oh no, it is not separated from your soul. I remember one example where I was reminded of this uh, years ago, back when I was at the church in the Woodlands uh, as an associate pastor, and a guy came into my office and said, I, I wanted to talk to you today about just my relational life and some problems I'm having. Okay, and so, you know, we're sitting there just talking, and he's saying, you know, the problem is, you know, I just, I really want to move towards marriage, and, you know, you know I'm thinking, well, you look like a nice guy and handsome. I don't know why you don't just do that, you know. And, and, but, he, but he was describing how all of his relationships just come unraveled and, and he, he kind of sabotage. It's like, okay, and finally he gave me the clue that was needed. He said aloud, you know, I, I think what it is, Ken, I'm just realizing that a lot of crazy choices that I made along the way are all catching up with me. I said, oh, so you had kind of a speckled past? It's like, 
speckled, polka dotted, you know, and, and he said, Ken, you, you just have no idea. I've probably been sexually active with no less than 500 different women. Well, he had my attention. And, <laughs> and, I, and he said, and, and here's the darndest thing about it. Now that, that I would like to move forward and grow up and be done with that, and it, it, but it's like I can't get rid of it. And it's like the memories are, are, are just seared in my brain. And, and I even situations and people, I don't remember what their names were, but the, the, the memories are just, they're just there. And it's, it's like I'm dragging all this stuff with me. And, it, and, and then it, it just really messes up. I'm like, I see the problem. This is exactly, don't you see, what Paul was trying to explain to the Corinthians. You're telling yourself, this is no big deal. But Paul's saying, I'm telling you, it is. It is a big deal, and it is going to complicate your life. It, because there's a gluing that's going on, an adhering, not just of body on body, but of soul, mind, heart, feelings, the whole thing. There's a gluing that you don't just peel off afterwards. Which is why sex sins are just different than food sins. If you overeat, for a few days, you just cut back. Get the Weight Watcher app. Just start regulating it a little bit. Hit the gym, you know, and, and take in a few less calories than you're burning off, and you can change that one. You can undo that one. And Paul's saying, but sex sins, it's a lot more complicated than that. And any number of you right now, you're like, he's right. I know that is absolutely true. So don't Turn, tune out. I mean, we're getting to hope, so stay with me, okay? But before we go on, there's, there's one more thing about this. Um, why is sex outside the confines of a trusting, committed husband-wife marriage so complicating? Because it makes two people have to become a little bit schizophrenic, because see, God wired the human being in a way that he didn't wire the dogs and the horses and the animals and everybody else. And, and that is with this soul thing that he put inside of us. And to just say it's only going to be physical and to move uh, around, or not even that much, but just kind of occasionally, just to, to move around from just that one person, it requires that you manually, psychologically, unhinge, turn off, disable your inner commitment apparatus that God wired into you. And that is why I'm convinced so many people are walking around like their heads are chopped off in today's world. They have any re realization that it's, in many instances, their sexuality and their misuse of it and their abuse of it and their violence done towards it that has made them nuttier than ever. It's all tied into, not all of it, but a, a good bit of it is tied into this. Because they've had to dehumanize themselves to become less than what God had created to make what they're doing work. And so Paul's trying to help the Corinthians. He's trying to help us to understand, oh, there's so much more going on than just flesh-on-flesh -flesh bonding. 
That's the first thing. Second thing, he was trying to help them to understand is sex is an addictive thing. It's an addictive thing. And I mean, you have to remember, he was writing this before scientists and all came along that we enjoy the benefits of reading now who've discovered chemicals like, what is it, vasopressin and, and oxytocin and all these like, well, there really is kind of this thing that's going on that's kind of serving as an emotional glue. And... <clears throat> But Paul was writing, and, he was, and even back then, without that awareness, scientifically, he was saying, let me tell you what's going on. There's an addictive quality to this. This is why he says in verse 12, or what, he counters what they said in verse 12. In verse 12, they're saying, hey, wait, Paul, you said that we're free, that we, if we have Christ, we're free indeed. And so we're not slaves to the old Jewish law anymore. Ha, ha, ha. That's what you taught us. And, and they're going on and expanding upon that and saying, so therefore, everything is permissible for me. My body, my soul, two different things to which Paul is saying, oh, yeah, I did tell you that you're free, but you have so twisted and contorted that we've got to back up. Because what you have to realize is that unregulated freedom always leads to bondage. And that's what he's saying in 12 and 13. You're saying you're free, but I'm looking at you. And I'm seeing you're becoming dominated by this. Or addicted to it. Controlled by it. Why? Because sex has an addictive quality to it. Um, but look, even if you're not a church person, a Jesus, God, Bible person, you know, whatever, but you're just here today and you're sort of listening with your arms crossed, I don't know. But you know that this is true. You, you need only read now secular literature. You know, I'm not even saying get this out of the Bible. Now the scientists are indeed telling us that. In fact, you can go back and read one of the cover stories in April of Time magazine. And Time is no Christian periodical but they did do a very interesting story cover story back in april on the perils of pornography and in that article they were talking about the, the very reality that men all across the land young men who should be virile and in their 20s and they're experiencing what now is being called porn induced erectile dysfunction p i e d take noah church for example a 26 year old firefighter in oregon who explains in the article that after regularly using internet porn throughout his teen years when he finally had the chance to be with a real live girl whose name he knew and who he thought was beautiful and had feelings for and and she for him and it says he couldn't get his necessary hydraulics going. Why? Young men's brains are becoming so addicted today that the only way that they can get their man parts fired up is not through a real person, but through another hit of erotic, unrealistic pornography, which leaves women feeling terrible and discouraged and disillusioned and feeling like they have to look and act and perform like porn star fantasy girls rather than just being themselves. But for that matter, it's, you know, it's not just a male thing. Pornography is on the rise for females as well, but although it tends to take a little bit of a different approach. Whereas for, for, for females, uh, uh, porn tends to be no pictures all words 
for men, it tends to be no words, all pictures. But it's still porn. Because in both instances, it's creating fantasy worlds that no real person can, can, can fulfill. And, and so <clears throat> Paul is saying, you say, oh, I'm free. I'm looking at you and I'm telling you, you're not free. You're being dominated by this. You're being enslaved by this. It controls you. And by the way, let me just mention again, some of you right now, you're, you're listening to me and, and you're saying, well, it, yeah, I agree. Sexual immorality is a bad thing. Porn is a bad thing. Yet maybe you're in a small statistical uh, group of people who actually don't use porn. And so you're really sitting a little smug, crossing your arms and saying, you know, uh, boy, this internet porn thing, or the, you, know, you know, immorality, it, it's, it is, it's taken our nation to hell in a handbasket. Let's get careful about getting on our high horse as if we don't wrestle with sexual immorality ourselves. All of us do in different ways. Take, for example, this, the, I mean, some of you, you're here today, and you, you live together, but you're not married. You're like, well, yeah, but that's different. No, that's not different. You're, you're and I want to talk in the postscript more about, I don't have time to talk about this, but you're, you're pretending like you are committed, but you're not. And, and like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about that in the postscript. You can listen in. Um, or maybe you are married, and you uh, love your family, you love your children, love your spouse, but, but also there's this little thing that's been going on at work, and this lady or this man that, that works a few doors down, and you find yourself wanting to go down to that office and ha ha ha, and talking about this and that. And, and uh, you know, uh, oh, how about a little hug? You know, and oh, how about a little bigger hug? You know, and, and one thing becomes another. You got to understand, no, no, no. This, this is, you can't just sit here this morning and just point your finger. At, this is all of us. All of us wrestle with pornea. I mean, he's talking about, this includes emotional affairs. It includes just casual sex, friendships with benefits, you know, porn before or during marriage. It, he, he's, he's, he's saying, no, it doesn't, it's, it's all of it. Um, and he tells us, here's why sex sins are so problematic and so complicating to your life. Verse 18, he says, because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. He's saying sex sins are different from all other sins. Why? Because they knock God off his throne and just make him a little bit more upset and mad at you and, and bent out of shape? No. He's saying sex sins are different because they knock you off your throne and they get you bent out of shape worse than all the rest. And they make you feel like God is farther and more estranged from you and couldn't possibly love you and forgive you and all these sorts of feelings. That's what he's saying. He's saying they're in a category of their own because of what they do to you. Not because of what they do to God. Sin is sin to God. It's because what, you, what they're doing to you. And so Paul was saying, look, I, I, I'm not trying to take something from you as if that was a good thing. I'm trying to prevent bad and pain in your lives beyond what you've already experienced. And I'm trying to offer a way forward to new hope. 
So he talks about this bonding thing. It's much more than physical. He talks about this addictive thing, and then there's one more misunderstanding that he's going to bring clarity to. And this is, he was trying to help the Corinthians realize, your body really does matter to God, like your physical body. God is into bodies. If he, if he wasn't into bodies, he would have just made us souls that just went around, but we didn't bother to have bodies. In fact, remember the message that Ben gave last week, and if you weren't here, you ought to listen to it. He was talking about death and especially the, the resurrection at the end, and, and he was reminding us what is going to happen in the final resurrection. The, the dead will rise, <clears throat> and we'll get our bodies, but by then they'll be restored and, and, and free from illness and deficiencies and, and, and sin and death and all of these sorts of things. He, he's still moving us towards souls encased in bodies. Now, one person, even at the first service, said, well, in that case, does, if we're going to get new bodies in here, what the heck? You know, uh-uh. Because remember, he also says in other places, even though you know about grace, some of you are saying, should we just sin all the more so that grace can abound all the more? He's like, no, that's crazy. Take care of your body. Steward it well. And then something that's very important to understand here that I think American Christians particularly don't understand, and that is when we trust in Christ, when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we tend to think of ourselves as I'm plugging into Jesus. But what we fail to, to realize and ponder is the reality that he says, in turn, I'm plugging into you. See, we tend to just think, I'm just plugging into Jesus. I just, I want my soul. I want to know I'm forgiven. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. And that sounds really good and sign me up. And, but what we fail to, to consider is that at the same time, he's saying, okay, then I'm going to plug into you. I, I'm going to fill your body with my spirit. So your body will be virtually a, a suit of clothing that I'll walk around in. And you'll let your light shine and it'll really be me inside of you that's sparkling out to other people. And so that's, that's what Paul is, is trying to, to say. And especially when you go back and look at verse uh, 19, he's saying, don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God. And that's also why he was going to, to, to say very clearly, that's why you cannot go and, and plug yourself into a prostitute. Because if you go and plug yourself into a prostitute, you're taking him inside of you and you're saying, now Jesus, we got to plug into this together. And far be it, Paul was saying, you, you, we can't do that. So, God chooses to work in bodies now and throughout eternity. He's, he's, he's pro our bodies. So we can't be separating and minimizing the difference or the distinction between our bodies and our souls. Which is why he also says verse 20, isn't it? You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In other words, when you became a follower of Jesus... You, you didn't just sort of hand him the keys of your soul. You handed him the keys of your everything. And he said, great, 
I'll give you eternity and grace and forgiveness and love and life and and I'm going to come into your life now, into your body, and I'm going to sit in the driver's seat. That's the part that we don't, we're like, oh, well, I actually, I kind of had in mind you'd sit over here. And sometimes you'd sit in the back seat with your eyes closed. And, you know, because and, and, uh, I'm still taking my body here. And he's like, no, that's not the way it works. That's, that's not the offer that I was making. All of you surrendered to all of me. And we'll make a trade. That's what he's offering. So now, we get to the end, and it's natural to say, okay, this is interesting and thought-provoking. It'll definitely give us enough stuff to talk about over lunch or, <laughs> or in our grow group this week. Um, but I, like, I need an action step. So, like, what do I do? I'm going to give you two. Well, I'm not giving them to you. Paul gives them to us. Here's the first one comes from verse 20. Honor God with your body. That's what he says. So glorify God in your body. You've made that trade. If you've trusted in Christ. Yeah, and if you didn't really make that trade, then maybe we need to go back and evaluate. Have you really surrendered your, yourself to Jesus? And, you know, so that's the first thing. Um, and let me just also say, so there's no misunderstanding. I wouldn't want anybody to go out of here and somebody say, well, what was the church about? And you'd say, oh, well, it's about sex, and God hates sex, and he's against sex. No, no. Quite the contrary. He created it. He loves it. He's for it. The preacher's for it. Preacher loves it. In the confines of marriage the way it was intended to be used. And so, in fact, uh, we'll come back in three weeks from today, and we're going to talk about that, sex in marriage. And we're going to also come back, and we're going to talk about uh, singleness, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about, uh, what about if I have same-sex attractions? And what do I do with that? And where's the hope for me uh, in, in that? So there's more things that we're going to come back, but the last thing I'd want for you to go out and say, Christians don't, think sex is great. No, no. It's just very explosive. It's like fireworks. They're great, especially if the professionals are doing them. Especially if people aren't getting their hands blown off. Same with sex. It's great using the right confines. So, that's the first one. Honor God with your body. Second one, flee from sexual immorality. That's what he says in verse 18. Flee. Why? Because he wants your life to be miserable? Nope. Because he wants your life to be wonderful. But you keep making it miserable when you run towards this fire and you throw yourself into it. Proverbs 6, 27 says, can a man scoop fire onto his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? The answer is no, he can't. Of course not. So why do we keep trying to do that? So what does he say? He says, flee, flee any kind of immorality. 
every kind of immorality. Get away from it. Run. I know what some of you are thinking, though. Even now, you're thinking, yeah, but, oh, gosh, it's complicated, Ken. I know. I said that at the start, isn't it? It's, it always is complicated. It makes life more complicated. Yeah, but it's, like, so complicated for me because if, if I were to, like, make a change, then that's going to, like, set some dominoes off, and you know, it might even move, mean we need to move. It might even mean I need a different job. And What's he saying here? He's saying flee. Don't look at it at what you're losing. Look at it as what you're gaining. Health, wholeness, life, freedom, the way that God intended for it to be enjoyed. So move towards that. Sure, you might look silly, but hey, at least you'll be a whole person held together intact by your character. I want to uh, just mention one last thing. This isn't actually an action step. But I think it's an effort to harmonize honoring God with our body and fleeing. Because I know there's every person sitting here. Uh, some of you, you, you the, the thing about sex sins, it's, we've all been in affected and affected by them. Uh, some, some of us have been injured and hurt up to our ankles, up to our knees. Some of us up to our shoulders, up to our necks. But you can't live in our culture and our society and not have come through uh, with some injuries. Nobody comes through unscathed. And so what I really want to emphasize here as we close is that all of us, are walking around as wounded people, like Jason Pierre Paul physically is from the fireworks. All of us are wounded inside of our soul. And so the reason that we really felt like God was saying, have this series, was not so that anybody could feel like we were piling up uh, condemnation or judgmentalism or all these sorts of things that make somebody go out and say, oh my gosh, I'm like the worst. But no, but rather so that all of us could say, you know, we're all in this together, but God does provide something better and I want better and I want to move towards that. That's why we honor God with our body. That's why we flee. And in so doing, we have to just keep going back to the gospel. What's the gospel? What's the good news? The gospel is that our God said, oh, I know you're broken. That's why I sent Jesus. I knew you could not save yourself. That's why I sent him to save you. And so now we have to swim in the gospel of grace again and again and again. And, and what I'm say, when I say that, I, I, my, my concern is that any number of people, even now hearing my voice, say, yeah, but see, I, I accepted Christ. I did that years ago at a young life retreat or at a revival or this sort of thing. You know, what do you got for me now? You know, I already did the gospel, you know, as if it was like this diving board that you jumped off one time and there, check that off my list. Now what do you got? No, no, you don't understand the gospel. The gospel isn't the diving board. The, di the, the gospel is the whole ocean of God's grace that we just need to start swimming in again, reminding ourselves it is for me. It's for this brokenness that he came, that he died, that he rose, that he promises new life and new hope. But you have to move towards that. You do have to act upon that. And you do have to take the steps necessary to flee and to honor God with your body. But you keep doing it in light of the gospel and, and filled with his Holy Spirit acting on the grace that he gives us. Remembering 
that he can take all things old and make them new. That he can work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. That he can restore what the locusts have eaten. That, I mean, you go through the whole Bible, this is what he was about doing, and it's what he wants to be about doing in your life and in my life as well. So let's move towards him today and in the coming weeks. Don't draw back. Say, well, you know, I think I'll sit the next several weeks out and come back in December and see what they're doing then. You know? No, no, no. Let's move towards this and take the journey together and experience the blessing and the hope and the grace that he wants you to receive. Why don't we spend a few minutes talking to him right now in prayer? I want to lead us through just a little bit longer prayer time than maybe normal. Uh, and so as we're praying, I, three things in particular, three sort of movements the first movement is the movement towards confession. I just want to invite you to confess to the Lord, just to say to the Lord, here's what I've done. It's, it's not that he doesn't already know it. It's just that sometimes we need to hear ourselves say it. I'm not saying say it out loud, but I am saying, why don't you just be real and come out of denial and state it aloud in your soul. Just come before God and say, here it is. For some of you, it's something as recent as this morning with internet or last night or Friday night and you've been sitting here squirming. For some of you, it's something that happened a while back, five years or eight years or 15 or 20 years ago and, but you just kind of went on and tried to just sort of go on and you never really brought that back and why don't you just right now say, okay, Lord, I'm confessing. Here's my brokenness. Here's where I messed it up. Here's where I did not use your playbook. I went the way of the world. And why don't we just confess that? And, and also, while we're in this category, I want to talk, we didn't even talk about this one, but I want to address some of you, you're feeling pain, even at the conversation of all of this. Not so much because you made decisions or choices about your body, but because somebody else made them about your body as well. Why don't you just come before the Lord and pour that out right now as well? Now, some of us, well, many of us, have sins for which we are responsible. I'm not talking about people who've been victimized. There's not really much that you can repent from if you were victimized. But for those of us who have sinned and continue to sin sexually with even nothing more than wandering thoughts, fanciful thoughts. We need, to, we need to repent of that. And so even after we've confessed it, to, to repent means to look at it honestly and then to turn around on our heels and do a 180 and say, I'm walking away from that. I'm running away from it. I'm fleeing. Why don't we just right now, in the quietness of this moment, why don't you just repent of whatever it is that you're involved in that you're doing, that maybe you're going to need to get to a recovery group about because you know it has drawn you in addictively and you'll not be able to get out by yourself. You need community like we have in, uh, all around this church in grow groups and 
brothers and sisters who could help you if you just but be real. Right now, why don't you just repent before the Lord? And the last movement I want to lead us through in prayer is filling. Filling of your love tank with his grace, with his forgiveness, with his love, with his Holy Spirit. This is what he offers. This is why we have hope at the end of a message like this. Not why we leave with our shoulders sagging and and feeling despair, but feeling humble and yet victorious because we remember the gospel. It's not about what I ever did or didn't do that saved me. It's about what Christ did. And he says, now let me save you. Let me forgive you. Let me pour out my grace into your love tank. You've been trying to fill your love tank up in ways that are destructing you. Don't do that anymore, but let me fill you up. Let me fill your love tank, even just right now in the quietness of this moment. Why don't you just let him fill your, your tank up with his love and his grace and his, his forgiveness. Thanks, Lord. Thanks for a chance to interact with your word and for the insights that you gave to that great leader, Paul, um, that are still timeless truths. Help us to move forward in this series so that we might indeed walk in a new way with new life, full of new hope. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Luann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Pastor Ken, who just brought part one of the series, The Naked Truth. Welcome, Pastor Ken. All right, so one thing that today's topic uncovered was a lot of questions. So we have a lot of questions for you. Um, And so let's start with what you talked about in the message. I think we have a tendency in the church to look at the media, look at what's happening around, and think that sexual sin or the struggle with it is something that happens outside or to other people. Um, And we know from your message and also what the Bible tells us that we all are prone to this problem. Um, And so you talked about a variety of ways that we struggle. Different people struggle different ways. But one of the things you talked about was cohabitation Mm -hmm. and you didn't have time to really get into it. So we're gonna pick that up here. So why don't we just start there? Sure, here's what my great concern is with my friends who are cohabitating, who I love and who I care for. I see them buying a lie and it goes like this. Everybody's gonna win by trying it on for size first and uh, sort of like shoe shopping. And, but, you f- but the reality is statistics 
reveal just the opposite. Why is that? Remember, the way God wired us humans, unlike the animals, I mean, we're, we're a cut above humans are. It, uh, what happened on the sixth day, God said the creation was very good. And it only said good about anything that was animals and less. And one of those soul aspects that we talked about in the message was this, um, this commitment apparatus that he's wired into the soul connection of becoming one flesh. Here's what happens when you know, people are cohabitating. They're having to disengage this, um, this commitment apparatus and to tell themselves or to tell others, we are committed, sorta, but they're hedging. And the way that sex is created to work best, as we talked about over and over, is in a trusting, safe fortress of marriage. Not in a flimsy tent mm. that the windstorm can come and just take mm -hmm. out. And what happens is two people tell themselves, um, we're committed, wink, wink, until we're not. And then they decide someday, let's say, we're gonna get married. They've already programmed their brains into this, but we might not be. Mm. And that doesn't just, that's a switch you don't just flip right back. And, and now we are. They've conditioned the, the neurons in their brains to, to always be protecting themselves. And intimacy is going to be hindered as a result. I'll give you a positive example though of one instance. I remember some years ago, I was counseling uh, premarital, a, a couple that was going to get married and they were cohabitating and that came up in the conversation. I told them everything I just said right here. And they said, so will you not marry us? And I said, no, no, I will marry you. But here's what I want for you to do. Since we're about three months out or four months out, whatever it was gonna be, I want you to live in separate places for three or four months. And here's what's gonna happen. You'll prove to each other that you are trustworthy. Hmm. You're not creating an opportunity to prove that. And so the first time one of you goes on a trip and you've already been geared to always protect yourself and you're like, oh my gosh, what's really happening? And, and this, you, you have no foundation of trust, but I want you to get married with a foundation of trust. So why don't you do that? I remember we were standing in the back of the church before we walked in and I never brought it up again, but the groom said to me right before we walked in, he said, by the way, I want you to know we did what you said. And she moved back, or I moved, whoever did, back with the parents or whatever. And, and we've gone cold turkey for four months, you know, or whatever it was. And he says, and I can already feel in my soul what you said was true. We have a higher respect and a higher trust for each other as we get ready now to be married. I said, that's awesome. It's good. We walked out and got married. Okay, so that leads me to the next question that came in. So you talked about cohabitation, but as a pastor, have you observed any negative effects of an early marriage sought by Christians who are just trying to stay sexually pure? Maybe they rush into a relationship to make, rush into a marriage to make sex 
permissible. <laughs> right. Which is k kind of what the f people in Jesus' day were doing when they were uh, moving from relationship to relationship, but uh, taking care of the technicality of getting married first. Mm -hmm. and, and Jesus saw right through that and said, no, no, wait, 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 wait. That, that, this is not what I'm talking about. Um, here again, if it's going to be a relationship um, that God is going to have his blessing in, then we've got to get a horse in front of the cart, not the cart in front of the horse. And so creating, you know, so we'll, we'll just get married and then we can go ahead and do, I think that's very foolish because that's a, that's a long-term decision and choice that, that two people are making um, when that very well may not be the person that, that was best created to be your spouse. Why don't you slow down, get to know the person, mind and soul and heart and emotions and feelings, and then when you're married, you get to know their body and all of that. Mm -hmm. What else would you add to that? Yeah, I, w I would say that um, I think we grow up in the church thinking, I've just got to hold out until I can get married. I've mm -hmm. just got to hold out. And so the first person that comes along that you think I can yeah. do that with, mm -hmm. and then you're divorced. And they settle because you, so, you yeah, know, you right. settle quickly. Right. Um, so I think there's dangers in both. Mm -hmm. um, okay, the next question that came in, you talked about the body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, and the question was, what about non-Christians? How does this, is it permissible because they're not really the temple of the Holy Spirit? Mm -hmm. how, does, how does it apply to them? Okay, right is is sexual freedom permissible? Yeah, yeah, because right. I, because as a non-Christian, I'm sure. not the temple of the Holy no, Spirit. No, that's right. If you don't have Jesus inside of you, then you're not his temple. But neither do you enjoy any of the benefits of having him in you. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, sure, uh, Paul will say, uh, you cannot judge people who are outside the church because of course they're gonna sin. Of course they're gonna, you know, set explosives and, and you know, and, and they're gonna have, you can't sit inside the church and judge those people outside the church because they don't have the spirit of Christ living inside of them. And so they are gonna goof it up. But let's not talk about, and the, even the nature of the question kind of goes at it from a backwards way. I think what we wanna flip it around and say, yeah, but, you don't you want to have life mm. and don't you want to be the temple of the Holy Spirit and all that comes with that it's you're taking a short-sighted look if you're just trying to figure out how can I get more sex and but I'm don't have Jesus and maybe I will put that off a little you know wait 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 you're 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 not making the the healthy, the, yeah. the wise choice as we look to the future. You want Jesus inside of you. That's where life takes off and it becomes abundant and fulfilling. That's good. So you talk about fleeing sexual immorality. And on the topic of that, how does... Paul talked about it. Yes. 
and you talked about it today. Yes, I did. So, how does a remarried couple where one is been divorced before sure. for not biblical reasons, um, how do they repent of their sin adultery? So they committed adultery once, then they got remarried. Are they in a perpetual state of adultery? Should they then divorce? Wait, how does so that apply? Let me make sure I'm understanding the, the yeah. questioner. So they committed adultery and married because of that? They, one of the parties divorced because of adultery and then was remarried. To another person. To another person. Are they committing a perpetual state of adultery? Should oh, they be divorced? Right. How does that even work? How do you flee from immorality yeah. so in do, that So now do we sever state? this relationship yes. and, and see how if we can just rewind how it How do all? we flee from immorality in this yeah. state? No, uh, you know, I, I think this is where we have to, to say, no, now that I've come to Jesus, now that I have his spirit living inside of me, this is where I start because God also is not for divorce. And so just to run out in there and do that, that's kind of what First Peter was talking about uh, in chapter 3, 1 through 7, where he was uh, saying, there's these ladies whose husbands were not becoming Christians and they are becoming Christians and they're saying, can we just divorce this guy and and go start over? And he's saying, no, you, you've got to stay there now. And I think that the same applies here. It doesn't matter at this point how you got into this. You didn't have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit prompting you on the front end. But now that you're here, this is the state that you need to bloom in and that you need to follow him. Why don't you go back with each other and with the Lord and maybe a counselor friend and pray through and repent and confess it and own it and don't deny it and just get it out. But then saying, you know, from, from this point on, we're going to walk in a holy way. I can illustrate kind of a similar thing. Um, I remember once talking with a couple who had become pregnant uh, and they came to meet with me and they were terribly conflicted about now what's going to happen now. And, and, you know, and, and I said, you know, I think this is where we're going to just have to trust that God can work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Mm. The solution is not to run out and have an abortion. Um, let's just confess it before the Lord and we had a good meaningful time of prayer and tears and and everything and and they had that child and that child is walking with the Lord and, and so God will bring good from wherever it is that we get serious and say I need you God and boy did I botch this up however I got here I got here uh, but sometimes you can't just go and unwind it, you just have to, to, to start at, at that over. point. Yeah. Now, you can't extrapolate, I mean, then a person says, well, you know, I stole some money, and, and well, no, I think in some instances we can go back, and we can make, make restitution, right. and, um, but I think in, in sex sins, it, it becomes very, very, in, probably un, complicated and, and likely impossible to, to go back and undo some of those, so we just move forward walking in His grace. Okay, good. So, um, you know, I think sometimes we think, okay, I, I got married and now 
it's sex all going to be solved because now I'm with my husband and it's all going to be easy. But it's, but it's not. And you talked about First Peter 3 mm. there in your answer, and that actually came up in a question today. Okay. Um, within the confines of a marriage, sex can be complicated. Mm-hmm. And so um, the person wrote in and said, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable. My husband's watching porn. He's pressuring me to do things that he sees, and I don't, I don't know. Um, I know First Peter 3 and what it says, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to defend myself. I feel like I'm unloved, and what, how do I, what do I do? Yeah. Well, I, I think there are several passages that we have to look at when we're trying to, to uh, live into the complexities of human sexuality. For a husband to say to his wife, because I've been sinning and watching these fanciful things, the likes of which real people is probably very unlikely. Um, therefore, I want you to do this now. There is no similarity between that and between what Paul says, for example, in Ephesians um, 5, where he's talking about the husband is, there's, there's Christ and the church kind of relationship as there's a husband and wife type of relationship. And he's making that parallel. And he's saying in the same way that Christ gave himself up for the church, husbands, you've got to give yourselves up for your wives. And so to to come and to mandate that your wife do something that feels utterly inappropriate or dirty or wrong or, or you know whatever, um, that is not being like Christ. And so to use a, a different verse, proof texting, well, here, this is what you're supposed to be. That's, that's uh, manipulative, uh, at least, destructive and, and sinful, uh, more realistically. I think the problem that many husbands have, perhaps, is um, we don't, ponder enough how the wife um, is who we're coming to serve. This is what Paul is really trying to emphasize. And um, so I I think I would rather see us, uh, see this party, look at a few other passages, but we could start right there at Ephesians and I think have plenty to work with. Now, let me, but let me swing the, the sword back the other way because I do have a concern on the other end of the continuum, even today, had a person who came up and said, you know, my problem is, our problem is in our marriage, uh, my wife doesn't really want to have any sex and like to have any sex. And uh, this man's not apparently using any pornography or it's just like, could we just like do something? And, you know, or, and, and she's just, you know, and, and so I think this is where there is some necessity to, to look at all of the verses Mm -hmm. And remember, okay, well, remember, wives, you are also serving your husbands. Um, 
in the same way that the church serves Christ. And um, so there's a, a mutual servanthood, there's a mutual sacrificing um, that's called for in the sexual relationship uh, that's characterized or typified or exemplified between Christ and his church. I think one thing that's really great about this series is that we are going to get specifically we'll talk more about to that. marriage. Yeah. yeah, and marriage um, will, will, yeah. Part, and so we'll be able fourth. to look at the aspects of that as well. Exactly. There. Um, okay, so let's talk about this, which, because I know it's it can be a problem because we reflect the world, but this person wrote in, and I think this is, he's probably not alone in his struggle, but that um, when he comes to church, sometimes he can be frustrated and struggle with the way he sees women dress. Mm. Um, and so that's hard. Mm -hmm. um, and so how, how do we handle that even within the church? Yeah. Well, several things. To... Uh, you know, the, the challenging thing about women's dress is where is the line drawn between what is acceptable and what is not? I mean, ultimately, I guess all women could wear burqas and that might solve the, the, his problem. But Western American women aren't going to do that, at least in the secular and or Christian worldview. So I think we're going to have to change the subject to not how do we get them wearing more clothes, but, and furthermore, let, let's say this, we are about making more and stronger disciples who make more and stronger disciples. And so if or when a female comes in here who's scantily clad and is like, wow, you did not put on your church clothes. Well, how could she? She doesn't know what church clothes are. She doesn't know. You know, it's probably not appropriate to, to have this much hanging out and showing and, and that sort of thing. But again, like uh, Paul says in, in, in Romans, how can you judge somebody outside? She doesn't know. She's here. Praise the Lord. She needs Jesus. Let's, let's help her get to Jesus so that then she can begin to, to, to realize, wow, you know, I probably need to, as a follower of Jesus, I need to make some adaptations uh, on the way that I'm operating in my attire. I can say that's been true for me. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. When I became a believer and that was maybe one of the things that changed huh. last. Last. Okay. Is thinking about my appearance and yeah. how other people look at me, but yeah. my heart had to change first. How about that? Mm -hmm. So see, so there's a good example. So I think, I think uh, back to the, to the male, I think it was that wrote this in, I think uh, sir, you and all of us are going to just have to, to focus not on, look at them, it's all there. For, well, no, um, as Billy Graham said, you know, you can't help it if the, if the bird flies over your head, but you can help it making a nest on top of your head, you know? And, and so I think this is where we have to be responsible and faithful as men and just move on and look the other way and, uh, you know, uh, resist the temptation or flee the temptation that's just walking there instead of um, letting our minds get carried away. That's good. Okay, so you talked about today 
and I think you did a really good job explaining what Paul meant when he talked about one flesh. Hmm. Um, and so there's questions around that. Um, so when does becoming one flesh occur? Does that mean going all the way? Does that mean base one or base two? When exactly is when the one is flesh thing happening? happening? Yeah. Um, you know, or is, yeah, right, I see exactly. And which is a fascinating existential question. Uh, the Bible does not make that entirely clear. Um, a couple of thoughts, though, do come to mind. Probably first, it happens sooner than most people think it does. And I think many people have allowed themselves to be drawn into certainly emotional affairs and even lost their families or jobs, you know, uh, over emotional. And they maybe didn't even ever go all the way around the bases to use that old metaphor. But they were becoming one flesh, the, the mind and the soul and the emotions and the feelings. So I think it probably is happening sooner than later. And if in doubt, probably uh, we need to draw the line of uh, precaution a little sooner in our lives, uh, because I think there's a lot of rationalizing um, that goes on among people and church people, Christian people. Uh, what else? Anything else we ought to say? No, I, I think that um, it's definitely one of the things that are is not clear yeah. and the next question is probably going to fall into that category as well okay. um the question came around um masturbation hmm. the it is my understanding that has shown that males have a biological need um to release in a time frame and so is it realistic to expect unmarried men to go indefinitely without this for as long as singleness may last. Sure. Good for them asking. So now we're getting down to the naked truth, aren't we? Um, so scripture is silent on when do you exactly become one flesh? And scripture is silent on this masturbation thing as well, which is interesting because you know that it's not something that just had never been thunk up uh, till after the Bible. No, no. It, but the Bible never really addressed that. Now, there are some things that the Bible does address. So let's start with those. What does the Bible definitely address? Well, lust. Mm -hmm. And though they didn't have internet pornography, they had different ways of getting, you know, perpetuating lust and prostitute and everything that they did have back then. And so there's nothing really that new under the sun. So there's, there's lust that is definitively explained in the Bible as sin. Um, I, I think there's maybe something else worth pointing out, and that is uh, there is a danger to masturbation, and that is the whole... Se the whole concept between, between, uh, behind the sexual relationship is that there is a, um, a selflessness that, that we're, we're, like we were talking about, the husband and the wife dying. We're, we're dying. We're actually sacrificing to, to 
accommodate your needs and desires more than mine, but with both people who are, who are doing the best that they can to do that. Um, masturbation, the problem with masturbation is uh, there's a solo aspect to it. And so uh, I think in some instances, uh, I don't think I know of people who have allowed themselves just to get lost in a non-real uh, world. And they say, well, why bother having a relationship and all the emotions and the tears and the... I just take care of it myself. It's just kind of easy and there, you know, there's no strings attached. And, and so on I go. I, but that's, that's not healthy. It's not healthy to the soul. Um, and even pushing that one out a little bit further, uh, people become sort of uh, obsessed and especially young men, well, I don't know, I guess young women as well, uh, can become sort of obsessed and sort of this OCD thing, like I just, I gotta do this or else it won't, you know, my day won't go well or, you know, this kind of thing. And um, so those are things that we do know uh, to be true. Now, how do you hold all that together with the fact that the Bible is is otherwise though silent and doesn't speak to it? Um, here is where I have concluded, and it's not just because I sat around and thought it up on my. I mean, I've done a lot of reading all across the continuum of Christian uh, authors and biblical scholars who've looked at it. And, and you have people who say definitively it is sin in every situation and there's no other way around that. And, uh, but you have others who say, I'm not quite so certain about that. And I tend to fall into that latter category because of several reasons. One, I think it is possible for uh, an individual to have physical pleasure that is not accompanied with lust. That's not easy, but I think that is possible. Um, and then I think of another reason, uh, and this even ties to a, a, a real life couple who I know and love, who have had a marriage and love Jesus and have had a marriage full of pain in their sexual life for years and years. And a lot, most of it is due to violence that was done to her, and they've gone to counselor after counselor, and 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 all, and and it just never has quite worked right. And I remember asking him, and this is a fellow who loves the Lord and wants to walk right, and and I asked him, so how, what do you, how do you like do that? And he said, you know what we've kind of settled on is, I masturbate while envisioning her and because I love my wife and I, I wish that I could be experiencing this with her, but at least I can envision her. Kind of makes me want to cry when I'm even thinking about it. But, but I remember walking away from that conversation saying, I see the, the holiness in that. It's certainly not ideal, but it is... Um, it's a, it's a solution that I think is probably in that situation, a best case solution. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of ways that people wrestle 
with sex and sexual sin. Everywhere. Um, I'm here at Faith Bridge. We got a lot of these questions in, whether it's my spouse is struggling or I am struggling, I'm addicted to this, we're struggling in our marriage with sex. What does Faith Bridge offer to support me? Well, community. Life change happens best in small groups, not in trying to fight the battle on one's own strength out there. Like, I'm the only one who has this, and I'll just, I'll overcome it. Oh, no, you won't. Uh, You've got to have a brother or a sister who's with you in the battle, who can encourage you and who can pray for you and who can... Uh, challenge you if you're starting to rationalize your your way back into old patterns of thinking. Um, And so the good thing is we've got, you know, we've got women's groups, we've got men's groups. And even in in co-ed groups where you can't really get into some of this, uh, you know, one or two men or three will Mm -hmm. sort of find each other and say, hey, what if we just have breakfast once a week and not with everybody else, but just to kind of go a level deeper and talk about how are you doing on this in your life and where ladies can do the same um, and even smaller accountability type of groups. Um, I think this is what we have to offer. And furthermore, sometimes where there have been uh, ruts formed in 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 the brain pattern, which lacking a better term is addiction, uh, and they just can't get out of these ruts and they're going to keep going back to that, then, you know, what can we offer? We have a staff with people like Pastor Dan, mm-hmm. uh, Beth Ellis, who are good listeners and would love to talk with people and you know, privately and tell me what's going on and, and can help then get that person to either the right counselor who could go take a journey with them ongoingly, um, or get them to uh, even the right recovery group, like a, a sex addict kind of recovery group that's similar to AA, you know, it's just SA, and um, where you're sitting in a circle with other people who are like, well, here's my deal. And it's like, really? Huh, all of us, are, well, what do you know? So. I'm not the only one out here, you know, wrestling with this myself. It's very liberating. This is the power of community. It is. It is that, and recognizing that we all struggle. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes you're hesitant to get into a group because you think it's full of perfect people, or, sure. or which is what the devil wants. Or, or so I could never go yeah, and right. share. But I yeah. can tell you, I'm in a group, yeah. and there are things that we talked about yeah, today so that we hold each other accountable for, yeah. and we talk about. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, I'm glad that as a church. We're talking about it. Amen. It's good. good. So I hope that you are will be back here next week for part two as we talk more about the naked truth. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org/postscript.